All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to, hey, Jonathan, look at you. Welcome to Daily Power Parsha with our friends. There you go. By the way, if you ever know, like anything that happens at Chabad, Jonathan is usually behind, right? No, literally. He's always like you're somehow. Blaming, you're blaming me. No. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Give you credit, actually. Um, okay, Jonathan is our operations, our head of operations, and he does an amazing job. Thank you, Jonathan. Okay, all right, let's jump in. Daily Power Parsha, you got the copy. This week's Torah portion is Pekude. Pekude is the last Parsha, the last Parsha of the book of Exodus. And it seems like the concept of Exodus and the concept of Egyptian slavery is so like several weeks ago, right? It seems like, a, like we've, been, we've been talking about the Mishkan and building this, this tabernacle for so long now that it's almost like we forgot about the Exodus, but it all comes back to this idea. Nice, it all comes back, it all ultimately all connects. And we'll see, you know, at the end, by the end of the week, some themes that connect the two ideas. But let's start, I'm gonna pull this up. Um, I apologize, I don't have a chumash here that we're learning from a paper, but for right now, this is good. I'm gonna put up the Torah reading online and let's do it together. All right, Torah reading for Pekudeh. Um, Pukude means counting or accounting or audit. It's taking account of the numbers. So here we go. The Torah says, Exodus chapter 38, verse 21, these are the numbers of the Mishkan. Pukude, ha-Mishkan, Elo Pukude, Mishkan Pukude means numbers. The Mishkan of the testimony which were counted at Moses' command, this was the work of the Levites under the direction of Itamar, the son of Aaron the Kohen. Let me explain what's going on here. There was a lot, there was a lot of money and a lot of materials, materials that were donated to the Mishkan. And the Torah is telling us something that is absolutely amazing, and that is transparency. Tran- transparency in the donations. You got gold, you got silver, you got copper. How much did you get? What are the numbers? How much did you get, and what was it spent on? Right? You talk about like, you know, donating tzedakah, charity to nonprofits. How much goes to the programming? How much goes to the administration? How much goes to whatever it is? Like, what's, what did this go to? This is straight up an audit. And who calls the audit? It says the, all of these, the pekude, the, the counting was done at Alpi Moshe, at Moses' command. This is an incredible directive to be transparent especially when holding communal funds. It's about being transparent and saying, this is what we got, this is what it went to. Now, I will tell you that the commentators explained that there were those. You know, even though the Torah seems to indicate that Moses was the one that said, let's do an audit so I could show you, you know, um, uh, how everything was done. The truth is there are commentaries that explain that actually there was a bit murmuring, you know, like rumors. Oh, Moses is wealthy. How'd that happen? Oh, because a lot of stuff came in. He probably pocketed some of it. Now, we know the truth. How did he really get, how did he really get money? He how did he really get money? A long time before. He had, right, he was... From, uh, from, not from Lowe. From, uh, from Lowe? No, not from Lowe. You're saying from... Lavan. From, well, that was Yaku. Uh, yeah, so you're saying... He, there was older, there was some older cash yeah, involved. The, the, okay, the cash. so there was some older cash. But he also got wealthy, as we know. We saw this a few weeks ago. Um, when it came to the second tablets, remember he carved them from sapphire. And it says that Hashem gave him the, Hashem said you can take the extra pieces from the carving of the sapphire. So from that he became very wealthy. But, you know, Moses rose up 
in a Rolls Royce, in a Tesla. I'm kidding, he didn't, because it didn't exist, first and foremost. But the rumor was, oh, Moses suddenly has a little bit of cash. Where's that coming from? He grew up in the palace, that's for sure. But like there was, so there were some murmurings. So Moses doesn't say, how dare you accuse me? How dare you? Do you know who I am? Most people. Most celebrities, you know, they get pulled over by the cops. Do you know, they first of all, do you know, you know who I am? I'm Moses. How dare you accuse me? But that's not Moshe. That's not Moses. Moshe, Moses is humble. He's not about ego, like how dare you? Who are you? Do you know? I spoke to God. I took you out of Egypt. I split this. It's not about I. He's about what's right. And what's right is, first of all, unilaterally to do an audit, unilaterally to be transparent, in other words, whether or not anyone asked, the, the right thing to do is to be transparent, number one. Number two, certainly people are talking about it, be transparent. Why not? So from here we learn an important lesson that's, by the way, canonized in Jewish law. And that is that we have to, and I forget the language in the original Hebrew, but there's a halacha, there's a law that says we have to be careful to never give, it's not maras ayin, like uh, giving a misimpression about us violating something, but maybe it's along these lines. It's about making sure that we are not giving off any impression of impropriety, of, of not kosher behavior. It's about not wanting, it's not, you know, there's like a prohibition against putting a stumbling block in front of the blind, like don't mislead. That's the idea here. Don't mislead. Don't even do something that, that like might lead others to, to, to rumor and to, 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 you know, to talk about and, and gossip about. Avoid it. And the way to avoid it is by being transparent. Even if you think, why should I even be accused? Don't stand on ceremony and then lead others to the sin of judging falsely. In other words, no, it's really for anything. It's really for anything. In other words, the other person has a prohibition against thinking negatively about you. At your response, our way to help them not violate it on their end is by making sure they have nothing to talk about. It's like you'll have nothing to, to rumor about, to gossip about, if I am above board. So I, therefore, need to be above board. Like, okay, I hope that makes sense. All right, so that's all the first verse. Now, um, the Torah gets into the actual audit. So, and now we're going to get into the, the, the details of exactly how many ounces of gold was used for what and for this and for that. Here we go. Verse 22. But Salel, son of Uri, son of Hur, uh, by the way, Hur was the son of Miriam, so of the tribe of Judah, tribe of Yehuda, had made all, Yehuda, hey, had made all, <laughs> shout out, had made all, oh, I don't think we showed Yehuda on camera. Yehuda, there we go. Yehuda is Ray's grandson from Israel. Yeah. And you're visiting from Israel. Israel. Yeah. Nice. Even today. Well, this, this is the perfect place to be then. This is great. You got to go in the belt line a little bit, relax, oh, roll. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. gorgeous, especially today. We dialed up a good weather for you today. Just, just no extra charge. Yehuda, everything. Yeah, we, yeah, we, got, your, we got a shout out here in the verse. Are you kidding me, tribe of Judah? All right. So, but Salel made, had made, all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So just to get a, a, a concept of what we're talking about here. Hashem, God, had told Moses what it should look like, the Mishkan, what it should look like. Moses told the people what it should look like. And last week we read about how they built it. So it's done. At this point, at least in the timeline here, it's done. So that's why the Torah says, but Salel, right, had made. He already made. He made 
all that Hashem had told Moshe. Okay, next. And with him, verse 23, with him was Aliyah, son of Echisamach, of the tribe of Don. We said last week how you had one guy, Betzal, from Yehuda, the other one from uh, Aliyah from Don. You had somebody who grew up in a, in a prominent family, some guy, another guy who was unknown, and yet there is democratization of opportunity in Yiddishkeit and Judaism. It doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter to which family you're born. You can always achieve, at least theoretically, right? But no, hopefully that's the way we should structure. It's a lesson of how we should give opportunities based on merit and not based on nepotism. Next, with him was Aliyah, son of Achisam, of the tribe of Don, a craftsman and a master weaver and an embroiderer in blue, purple, and crimson woolen linen. By the way, that was his LinkedIn um, message that he was a master. He was a craftsman, master weaver. He had all these abilities. Next, here we get to the audit. Verse 24, all the gold, let's talk about the gold first, that had been used for the work in all the work of the holy, i.e. the Kodesh, the, uh, the temple, the, the Mishkan, the gold of the waving, that was gold that was brought as an offering essentially, was 29 talents. By the way, what is a talent? A talent is, according to my recent research, is 64 pounds, okay? 64 pounds is a talent. So 29 talents, I'm gonna do some math here. 29 times 64, okay? 29 times 64 oh. is 1,856 pounds of gold, okay? And how many, how many ounces per pound? Times 16, okay? So the ounce of gold, 29,696 ounces of gold. Now, what is the current price of gold per ounce, you ask? All right, that's a valid question. So price... Of gold, probably then it was twice more per ounce. Well, we're just going to go based on you know. Let's just see what we got here. Price of ounce per gold is nineteen hundred and forty, uh, nineteen fifteen approximately. So times one thousand nine hundred and fifteen. How do I ugh, typo? And I don't know how to fix it on my uh, on my computer on my phone. So I'm going to do here twenty nine thousand six hundred ninety six ounces of gold times 1915 equals the value, the today's value of gold that was donated for the Mishkan, $56,867,000, $56,867,840. Essentially close to 57 millions of dollars of today's value of gold. For that no, 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 for the entire donation. All the gold that came in for the Mishkan was 20, whatever it was, 29 talents, which is 64, each one is 64 pounds, which is number 16 ounces per each. The total value of the Mishkan, just the gold of the Mishkan was upwards of $57 million in today's money. That is an insane amount of, it's just, but it's. How many people gave? Um, I mean, everyone, it sounded like everyone gave. About how much people was that? Uh, well, there were 600,000 men. So, I mean, think about it. Oh, I say how much value per person. But they got a ton of money from Egypt. They, got, they emptied out Egypt. Remember when the, when they, when the, when the, the Egyptians washed up on shore, the Jews, you know, it's like, I guess you won't be needing that pocket watch. I mean, I don't want to make light of it, but they were taking, they were taking the stuff. Well, during it's, the darkness. And during the plague of darkness, they identified the wealth. Exactly. And listen, it is what it is. It's, it, it's, a, lot, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. All right, back inside. Um, oh, I'm going to pull up prices of gold, but we don't need to see that. Boom, back to the parasha. So that was the gold. 
That was the gold. The silver. Oh, let's talk about silver. I'm not going to do this for each um, item, but you can, you can do this on your own. The silver of the community numbers, in other words, I was donated by the community, was 100 talents. I, I'm really tempted to do this for the silver also. Because 100 talents, again, 64 ounces, that's, sorry, 64 pounds per talent, that's 100 times 64. That's a lot of, that's 6,400 times price per silver, uh, per ounce, right? Anyway, so the silver of the community numbers was 100 talents and 1,000 775 shekels according to the holy shekel. So again, it was 100 talents plus an extra 1,775 shekels. One becca, that's a coin, one becca per head, that is half a shekel, becca is half a shekel, according to the holy shekel for each one who goes through the counting from 20 years old and upward for 603,550 people. That was the census, by the way, 603,550 people. So if you do 600, and 3,550 people times one half shekel, that's uh, the amount of shekels that they got. Next, 100 talents of silver. So, so what was it used for? What was all the stuff used for? 100, verse 27, 100 talents of silver were used for casting the sockets, okay, of the holy, and the sockets of the dividing curtain. So let's understand what this was. What were the sockets? So as we know, the Mishkan was built, the walls of the Mishkan were built of wood planks, each plank had two pegs at the bottom, and each peg was inserted into a silver socket, which essentially was just pictured like a square made of cast of solid silver with a hole. And the peg from the board went right into the hole, and that's what held it up as a base. I mean, you need a base. Wood is not just going to stand up just in the wind or anything. So that, that's what it was put into. So how, you, how did they create the silver? They sounds like they melted it down and put into molds, and they got it into these, they, they made uh, the sockets. And 100 talents of silver was used for that. If you think about 100 talents of silver, again, if 100 talents, should pull up a, uh, a quick uh, thing here. So 100 talents, 100 times 64, oh, we did this math before already, is yeah. 6,400 pounds of silver. 6,400 pounds of silver to create the sockets for the entire Mishkan. Okay, if you wanna know how heavy it was to transport, that's heavy. They used wagons to transport all this stuff, by the way. They didn't, uh, they didn't carry it. Um, okay, so that's what the silver was used for. 100 sockets out of 100 talents, one talent for each socket. Is this like what the tribe of Meiri did? Yes, yes. Each, right, the three, the three Levi families, they split up the job. I forget which one did which, but we'll, we'll get to that at right. some point. Exactly. One family carried the vessels, like the ark, the menorah, whatever. One family did the curtains, tapestries. There was a lot of those also. Mm -hmm. And then one family did like the hardware, like the walls and the beams and, you know, the sockets. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, out of the 1,775 shekels, because remember there was 100 talents of silver plus 1,775 uh, 1, 1775 shekels, what was that for? By the way, Moses was panicking. The, 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 our sages say, he, did, he was doing the, the audit, and he's like, okay, he accounted for the 100 talents of silver, the sockets, literally, the so these sockets, that's what it's for. Then he's like, but we also got another 1,775 shekels of silver. What was that for? And he was like, he blanked out until he remembered that it was used for the silver hooks, which the Torah says right here. But there, there's, it, the Torah says it like it's obvious, but there was, according to the sages, there was a bit of drama for a moment because he forgot, because I guess, I guess you, the, 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 what's it called again, the... Um, the hooks were very, I don't know, maybe that you couldn't see them. They were hooked in or whatever it was. 
So for a moment there, there was a little bit of, uh, of panic. 28. And out of the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars, and he covered their tops and banded them. Yeah, I mean, they were covered, so like he couldn't see them at first. Next, the copper of the waving. That means, again, waving means donation. Tunufa is like, Tunufa literally means waving, but it means when they donated it, you kind of move it when you donated it, something like that. So the copper of the waving was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. Okay, and what did they do with that? From that, he made, by the way, it doesn't say what, he, what, he, what they did with the gold. You notice that? It just said they donated gold, and then it says the silver was used for this. The yeah. copper, we're about to say, but the gold not. I think because it's obvious, because we know what the copper, we know what the gold was used for. It was made to the ark, the kruvim, the, um, the what's it called, the menorah was made from gold. There was a lot of stuff made from gold, so I, I think we already know that, but at least you're saying why gold wasn't, it, it is a little bit, it's a little bit um, uneven in the, in the description. It's something to note. I'm sure it's discussed, but it's something to note. Anyway, the copper of the waving was 70 talents in 2000. Okay, we did that. 30. From that he made. What did he make from the copper? The sockets of the entrance of the tent of meeting. The entranceway, if you recall, the entranceway, not the, not the actual structure of the building. The entranceway had a curtain entrance. And the curtain was like a freestanding. Imagine, like you're walking, and there's like a curtain. Okay, so you need, it's got to have a frame for it, and the frame had sockets. That was made out of... Um, that was made out of copper. Um, so he made the sockets of that entranceway, the copper altar, the copper grating upon the altar, and all the implements of the altar, this is the outer altar, was made of copper, and the sockets of the courtyard all round, that means the outer courtyard um, also had walls. Remember, there's a wall to the Mishkan building, that the, the Kodesh and Kodesh Kodesh, that Mishkan building had walls with sockets. Um, and also the outer courtyard, the larger, like the, the footprint of the whole space, there was a separating wall, and that wall, or not really a wall, it had, was like pegs, posts, and, and linen, uh, like a linen divider, those sockets were made out of copper. And the sockets of the gate of the courtyard, all the pegs of the Mishkan, and all the pegs of the courtyard all around, the pegs were like the tent pegs that we discussed. Um, there were ropes and pegs staked into the ground, like literally like a tent. Those were all made of copper. Okay, let's continue. The audit continues, Exodus chapter 39, verse number one. And out of the blue, purple, and crimson wool, they made the meshwork garments to serve in the holy, and they made Aaron's holy garments as the Lord had commanded Moses. Basically, they made from the wool, they made the begadim, they made the clothing. Okay, that's reading number one. Yeah. But about the wool, what amazes me, it was made on top of the sheep, on top the goats, of the The goats, the goat stuff, while, yeah. While while the goats, yeah. Apparently the goats liked it. I said on Shabbos, maybe it's like a massage for the goats. I don't know, maybe they liked feeling like the, I don't know. Anyway, it's, uh, it was a thing. But the Rebbe says something interesting. The Rebbe says that, that the message is, if you have a talent, like the, these women clearly had talent, there was the certain women that, that did this, they had talent to do it, so it's good to use a talent for a higher purpose. Okay, so that is, that is reading number one. Um, I'm going to pull up Rashi. So you guys don't have Rashi here, but I have Rashi here online. I just hit a button and Rashi appears, right? See, I mean, you also have the button, but it, it, when you hit the paper, it doesn't actually toggle it. Online it does. Um, so Rashi says, by Ela Pekudim, Ela Pekudim Mishkan, these are the numbers. Rashi says, in this parsha, all the weights of the donations for the Mishkan were counted. That of silver, of gold, and of copper, and all its implements for its, for its work were also counted. In other words, this is straight up an audit, transparency. This is like an, you know, an end of year report. This is what came in. This is what we used it for. Straight up. Um, Sick that we have the numbers. 
Rabbi? Yeah, it's crazy. Yes, Donna. I believe when you initially read that paragraph that you said has something to do with uh, the provision against gossip. Well, sort of. In other words, because the people, because everyone is prohibited to speak ill of others, so it becomes an imperative on the person about whom it might be potentially spoken about to make sure that there's nothing ill that could be spoken about you. Are you with me on that? In other words, if, if the other one is not supposed to speak gossip, then what Torah tells us in this kind of indirect way is that it's my responsibility to make sure they have nothing to talk about. That it, right? Because if I'm giving you, if I'm giving you an opening, then I'm now, uh, 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 I, I'm now complicit. I'm now a co-conspirator in your gossip because I gave you suspicion. But where is that, and how do we get divine that from the portion? Because Moses. Um, demonstrates transparency in oh, auditing gosh. the Mishkan. And according to one tradition, it came because some people were talking about, oh, Moses has a little bit of money. Where did that come from? So the gotcha. message here is we shouldn't allow that to fester and say, you know what? You want to accuse me? That's your issue. You're wrong. You're, you're, it's a lie. It's false. It's bad. And you're the Lashon Hara. You're, you're, yeah. Yeah, we say don't give the appearance. Don't don't be the one to in any way enable that or fuel that. Even if yeah. you have nothing, even if you didn't do anything wrong, you should still. And this is the crazy thing: you should still care about the other one to the point that you don't want them to fall into that. So it's not. I'm not getting offended. I'm. I'm I care about you, which is so hard to do. It's so hard not to get defensive because somebody's attacking you. The first reaction is, how dare you? You get defensive and you want to strike back. Th that the first response should be compassion. Like, I care about you. The fact that you're accusing me means that there's obviously something that I did wrong, that I, I communicated wrong or I didn't give the right information. And I care about you that you're in a space where you are gossiping. So therefore, I want to set that right for your sake. That's like not getting defensive, not striking back, but wanting to help the person who's in essence, attacking you. That's a crazy response. That's very, very powerful. And that's, I mean, there's a reason why it was Moshe. I mean, it's like, he's the dude because he's the dude. I mean, that's, that's, that's how Moshe works. He's the guy. Anyway. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks for asking so that we have the opportunity to clarify that. Um, I'm just looking through Rashi quickly. The truth is I have, there's like this big meeting today that I have to run back to which is partially why I'm here in the offices, down here and not in the shul. I'm just quickly scanning Rashi here to see what might be interesting. No, we already did that a few weeks ago. Right. Yes. Uh, have we talked, I came in late, can we talk about Mishkan being repeated? We did not, no, we did not talk about Mishkan being repeated. There's a good Rashi on that. Okay, uh, let me go back. Mishka, Mishkan, here we go. Yeah. This alludes, oh, good, thank you. This alludes to the temple, which was taken as security, ooh, Mashkon, uh, by the two destructions for Israel's iniquities. Hmm. Each time the, the temple was taken as collateral for Israel's sins. When the th Israel fully repents, the third temple will be built. Kind of like God is saying, all right, if, you didn't, if, you can't, if you're not behaving, I'm going to take this back. And then I'll give it back to you when you behave. It's kind of, um, it's, it, it, it's evocative of the, 
the teaching from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak the Berdichever, who says in Shabbat Chazon, it's the Shabbat before, it's the Shabbat before Tishabav, I think. Yeah, it's the Shabbat before Tishabav, the structure, the, 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 the day that the temple, both temples were destroyed. And the Shabbat before is called Shabbat Chazon. It's the Shabbat of vision. The simple reason is because the Haftorah is Chazon Yeshayo, Isaiah's vision of the temple's destruction. But the Redditor said, no, it's called Shabbat of vision because Hashem shows us the vision of the third temple. He gives it an analogy. It's like a father who gives his son a suit and the son wasn't careful and he, you know, went down the slide and he played baseball in it and he slid and whatever and he ripped the suit. So they, they make him another suit and he rips the suit again. So they made him a third suit. He said, but this time I'm not going to give you the suit. I'm going to put it in the closet until you get more mature. Although I always wondered, like, once he grows up, he can't fit into the suit. But whatever. You have to suspend our, right? You have to, like, suspend that on some level. But the point is that it's, um, it's being held as a, as a mashkon, as collateral, so to speak, as um, security until we're ready for it. Didn't okay. the clothes in those days grow with the people? Well, yeah, it did. <laughs> right. Well, in temple times, yeah. Oh, but Bradisha maybe was, the, yeah, could be. I mean, not in temple times, in the, in the desert times, yeah. Uh-huh. You're right. Okay, let's do, let's do the next reading. I actually have it printed out, and that way we can get current to today. And then, I, and then I, again, apologies, I, have, I will have to run right after that. Okay, here we go. It's two pages. We'll see if we can do the whole thing quickly. And, and, and I'm open to, like, tomorrow kind of, you know, going back a little bit and, and rewinding a drop to get some more details. But here's what we got. Exodus chapter 39, verse 2. And he made the apho. The apho. Oh, so now we're talking about the, what, the, what, the, what the wool was used for. The, the, remember, we're doing the audit now of the fabric. So what was it used for? Here we go. He made the apho. The apho was the... Like the long tunic or robe or whatever it is, the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and crimson wool, and twisted fine linen. They hammered out the sheets of gold and cut threads from them. Look at that! You ever wonder when the Torah says they gold, gold, uh, gold thread? How did they do that? Uh, here, 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 here's your manual how to do it. Hammered out sheets of gold. I'm assuming very thin layers, right? And then cut threads from them to work the gold into the blue wool, right? Donna, you got to get on this. Right, working, working gold into your blue wool. It's, it's crazy. It's a, not talking about gold-colored thread. That we have, right? Gold, yeah, that's like it's fake. It's not gold. real gold. This is real gold. Yeah. Right, that's one of the reasons I have the shawls now. Right. You know, I... <laughs> there, you, there you go. With, with yeah. real gold, that's going to be next level. Yeah. All right. It, um, so they work the gold into the blue wool, into the purple wool, into the crimson wool, and into the fine linen, the work of a master weaver. Look at that. It wasn't that the gold was just, you know, put into one of them. There was gold in each of the different colors, in the blue wool, purple wool, crimson wool, and the fine linen, which is white, white-ish. Um, okay. They made connecting shoulder straps for it at both its ends. And, uh, it, sorry, it was entirely connected. And its decorative band, which is above it, emanated from it. Of the same work, again, gold, blue, purple, and crimson wool, and twisted fine linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they prepared, now it looks like it's interesting. Now it looks like we're moving away, a little bit away from the audit and more into the making of the garments. Because last week, I guess, we were talking about making the Mishkan itself, the building and the, you know, the, 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 the structure and the, and the vessels. But I don't think we talked about Betzalel and, and crew ma- actually making the garments in detail. Maybe that's it comes up here in the context 
you know, starting from the place of the audit and the materials and then going into the, some of the details, but that seems like where we're evolving in this conversation. So okay. They're saying how complicated and, and hard it is just that to show that they got the money's worth. Maybe, maybe, yeah, showing how detailed it was. Like, yeah, we needed a lot of, a lot of fabric, a lot of material to make all this happen, yeah. So, and it's decorative band, oh no, verse six. And they prepared the shoham stones, enclosed in gold settings, engraved similar to the engravings of a seal with the, with the names of the sons of Israel. Those were the two stones, those were the two stones, not the breastplate, the 12, those were the two stones that went on the shoulder of the high priest. Those were, um, Donna, they were called, not onyx, but what are they? Sardonyx. 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 There you go. It's a version of onyx. It's a version of onyx. It's like black with a little bit of a uh, little bit of flair to it. Yeah, white. Yep. Got it. Sardonyx. Sardonyx. I will always go to you for that. It's not 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 the only time I've asked you. So they paired the shoham stones enclosed in in gold settings, engraved similar to. Oh, we did that already. Verse seven. Oh, and it had engraved on them the, the twelve tribes, six and six, six on one, six on the other. And he put them upon the shoulder straps of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Um, let's continue. He made the choshen. Choshen would be the actual breastplate. That's where the twelve stones went. The work of a master weaver, like the work of the ephod. Once again, of the same materials: gold, blue, purple, and crimson wool, and twisted fine linen. Let's continue. Verse nine. It was square. Now, well, it wasn't, when it was folded, it was square. It was square, and they made the chosh and doubled its length, one span, and it's width, one span, doubled. So that's the Torah's way of saying it wasn't square until it was square. It's like, imagine like a long chosh, I mean, whatever, long sheet of paper, and you fold it in half, and now it's square. So it's like the chosh, this is kind of like blue, purple, crimson wool, but not exactly. Yeah, this was it, and then it was folded up, and that's what it was. But imagine instead of this being a rectangle, this being a square, and then more or less you got the foam festival. Okay, next. Uh, I mean, you got the chosh. So they filled it, verse 10, they fill, and they filled it, they filled into it four rows of stones. One row, odem, pitida, and bareket, that was the one row. The second row was nofech, sapir, and yalom. Sapir, of course, sounds like sapphire. Yeah, verse 12. And the third row, Leshem, Shavu, and Achlama. And the fourth row, Tarshish, Shoham, and Yashpeh. Yashpeh. Enclosed in gold settings, or Yashpeh, enclosed in gold settings in their fillings. So it's interesting that the Choshen was actually on a fabric base. You always think of it, I don't know, as a kid, I always thought of it as probably, it's probably like a gold, a the background was probably like a metal, mm -hmm. and then you have stones, you know, somewhere set in the metal. No, this, the, the actual square, the, the background was fabric. It was the gold, blue, purple, crimson wool. It was the wool, doubled over. I mean, it was obviously made sturdy and thick. I'm not suggesting it was, right, but it was somewhat of a flex to it, yeah. It was like more of a garment than, uh, than like, um, I don't know, like armor. Right, than a shield, exactly. Oh, wait, can I add something? Hold on one second. These what? Yeah, these stones are translated. Depending on the translator, you'll have different stones. Oh. Donna did a lot of research into this when she did the jewelry. Um, we did a Choshen jewelry uh, workshop with Donna, or Donna did it for us. And she did a lot of research. There are many, many traditions, differing traditions, as to what exactly the stones were. Because the Hebrew is ancient, uh -huh. biblical stone Hebrew. Who knows what that even means? Yeah. You, the thing, you know, part of, part of language, how do we know what words mean? 
part of it is because it appears in multiple contexts, and you can, from the context, you know what a word means. I'm saying some words we know traditionally, but also because of context. But if, if a word appears once as a stone, you have zero context. How do you know what it means? Unless you know what it means by tradition, unless an unbroken tradition of what Moses, what they actually put in, unless you have that, how do you know what it means? These words don't appear anywhere else. It's not like, oh yeah, this is uh, uh, Yalom. It's, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't appear anywhere else. Anyway, Mark, yeah, jump in. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Rashi says that the Choshen and the Ephod, how do you pronounce that? Yeah, Ephod, yeah. Uh, he said they were the only garments which include gold. There was one thread of gold intertwined with six threads of turquoise wool. Uh, and so with each other variety of material. Um, for all the varieties had six-fold threads, and the gold was a seventh. Nice. So in other words, but the, F, the Hoshan and the Earthfold were the only ones which had gold. Right, right. And they were the, these are the high priest garments that we're talking about now. So the high priest, right, other stuff was made out of linen and other things. These were the two garments that actually had the gold threads intertwined. But I think that's cool what you said, quoting Rashi, that to every six strands of the wool, there was one strand of the gold. It wasn't one, one for one. It wasn't like gold every other strand. It was gold every six. It was the seventh, one, two, three, four, five, six, gold, etc. Yeah, okay, he, good. he says the gold was the seventh thread with each one. Yeah. Right. Okay, good. All right, now these stones... Right, verse 14. And the stones were for the names of the sons of Israel, 12. In other words, 12 stones. This time, not like the shoulder stones that had six and six, six names, six names, but each stone had one tribe engraved upon it, corresponding to their names, similar to the engravings of a seal, every one according to his name for the 12 stones, 12 tribes. By the way, engraving of a seal means like a seal is or debossed, where you, know, you have like the seal and then it's imprinted into it. It means that the engraving was carved into it. It wasn't like the, the letters were sticking out of the stone. You carve the, the rest of the stone and leave the letters coming out. No, they were carved into the stone. It's just to clarify. Verse 15. For the Choshen, they made chain, uh, chains at the edges of cable work of pure gold. They made two golden settings and two golden rings, and they placed the two rings in the two ends of the Choshen. Basically, the Choshen was that square, the breastplate, and it had rings. One ring here, one ring here, rings. And that was to attach a chain to connect to the shoulder straps that had the of that little apron situation. Um, and at the two ends of the two cables, they placed upon the two settings and they placed them upon the shoulder straps of the aphod on its front part. Okay. Yeah, it was stones. Yeah. Yeah. He must have been, yeah. Gesundheit Mensch, yeah. Look, it wasn't easy to be the high priest. What do you think? He had to schlep around. Not only the physical weight, he carried the names of the people on his shoulders. That was a responsibility. He was like the spiritual representative of the people. It's not a small... You gotta be. You gotta be a dude. You gotta be. Yeah, it's a real deal. That's that's a real. I mean, can you even imagine going into the holy of holies on Yom Kippur? I'm just like, it's crazy. Anyway, okay. So uh, verse number nineteen, I believe. Um, maybe seven. Uh, yeah, nineteen. And they made two golden rings and placed them on the two ends of the choshen on the on its edge and that faced the inner side of the ephod, and they made two golden rings and placed them on the two shoulder straps of the ephod from below toward its front, adjacent to, adjacent to its seam above the band of the ephod. Finally, verse 21, and they fastened the choshen by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a cord of blue wool, so that it could be upon the band of the ephod, so that the choshen would not move off the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. Essentially, I'm going to break this down. We've done this before, like a few weeks ago, when we talked about the vision of it. You had the breastplate, 
You had rings on the four corners of the breastplate, one, two, three, four. The top two rings attached with golden chains to the shoulder straps, and the bottom ones had blue cord, a cord of blue wool attached to the lower part of the apron. The aphod was basically, the aphod was worn. It was basically worn from, from the waist down, or like somewhat from the waist down. It kind of went this way and went up the back, and there were shoulder straps in the front. So the, the shoulder straps were attached to the, to the choshen, and then the choshen was again attached to the, to the apron. So when, when, the, when the high priest walked around, it wasn't like, it wasn't like chains or whatever that were just s- s- yeah, swishing you know, around and swaying as he moved. It was, it, was, uh, it was solid. Okay, that takes us to the end. I know there's more to cover, but I have a, an important meeting that's going on right now as you speak, and I have to run. So... It's great to see you all. Um, we'll see you tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. By the way, everyone should know, we do this every day. Every day at 12, same Zoom channel, same Zoom time-ish. Um, but anyway, but join us. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Tonight, I don't think we have anything tonight, officially. I don't believe so. Tomorrow night, of course, is JLI. And check your local listings. All right, I'm going to bounce. Great to see you, Donna, and Mark, and Joy, and Faye, and Oli, and of course, Ray and Yehuda. Great to see you guys. Have a good day. Woo! Love it. Love it. This is amazing. All right. We'll see you guys. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Oh, my gosh. You made my day.